Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is Malachi 4, 5 through 6. If you are able, please stand in reverence for the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. And if you are unable to stand, join us now in lifting your hearts. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, you are uh, probably not expecting to see me up here. I'm not expecting to be up here. So we're, we're both in the same boat there. I had a little bit more warning than you did. Um, listen, our, our, our friend and pastor, Bill McCutcheon, uh, is supposed to be up here today, but Bill is down. Uh, his back has got him just out. Uh, so, um, you know, Bill... Bill doesn't miss much, and uh, he doesn't slow down much. So if it's rough enough that it's got him laid low, then it's rough. So I want you to pray for Bill for the back pain and for some relief. Uh, hopefully we'll find out more this week about, about what the, what's causing it all and be some relief there. Uh, but we're going to go to the Lord, and we're going to pray for him and then pray for this time that we have together, okay? Let's go to the Lord. Father, uh, thank you that you have called us here on this morning to this place. It is no accident. We're here for you, for your reasons, and for your purposes. Father, we do pray for Bill in his absence. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen him. We ask you to give him uh, peace, not only in his, in his soul, Father, but in his body. Father, I know that you use uh, the pains and suffering of life for your good purposes, and we're thankful for that. And yet, Father, our, our preference, knowing what we know, would be that, that you would bring healing to Bill. Uh, that you would strengthen him and, uh, and give him the ability to stand and, and get around this week pain-free. That's our hope. Father, uh, as we open up your word this morning, we pray also that you would open up our hearts. Father, that you would open our hearts and you would transform us by your amazing grace. Lord, for this one that would preach your word, I pray, Lord, that you would use me to pour out good, clean, living water, even though from a broken vessel, for the good of your people. In Christ our Lord, amen. Uh, I am um, Harrison Spittler, by the way. I'm pastor of discipleship here at Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, that is my loss, Uh, and I, I would love to rectify that, so uh, hit me up, uh, let's talk, I'd love to meet you and, and get to know you. Running into that season uh, of Advent, uh, so we're going to 
to take up the last couple of verses of the last book of the Old Testament that launches us into 400 silent years. And then we're going to take up a couple of verses in Luke chapter 1, which um, they're, they're kind of parallels. They kind of mirror each other. And, and the one in Luke kind of explains the one in, in Malachi 4. So we'll get more uh, into that. And through the process of that, we're going to discover that our only hope, of course, is none other than, than Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. As we launch in, I want to tell you a story. I, uh, I love the wilderness. I grew up on a lake uh, in East Alabama, close to Auburn. And um, my nearest neighbor was probably two miles away, if not farther. It was quiet. I, I love people. Don't get me wrong. I love people. <laughs> I love people. Uh, but I, I love the wilderness. There's just something about it. So as, as we had young kids... Uh, we began to camp. Uh, we'd camp in Maine, we camped in Arizona and everywhere in between. In 2004, we were camping in, uh, in Wyoming, Colorado, and several stops along the way and on the way back. We had a, an RV that we were pulling behind us, and we made our way across country and spent some time there in Yellowstone, the Grand Tetons, camping and hiking in Jackson Hole for a Wyoming uh, uh, rodeo and a thunderstorm. That's an event uh, not to be missed or maybe to be missed. And we're traveling across southern Wyoming, heading towards Steamboat Lake in northern uh, Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been on those roads in southern Wyoming, but you can look as far as the eye can see, and you'll see nothing but sagebrush, maybe some rolling tumbleweeds, they do exist, uh, and brown, 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 brown stuff, just brown grass, brown desert, brown sand, and a few antelope off in the distance. So we're not very concerned about, you know, hitting anything. We're just traveling down the road, a little two-lane road. And the kids are watching a movie in the back, probably remember the Titans or some other classic like that. And, uh, and suddenly, from behind a bush on the left side walks a skunk. And he makes his way onto the road. And as one, we all yell, Skunk! And I went from 60 to zero, just like that. The skunk moves over into the right lane. Guys, I kid you not, he was having a stare-down contest with me. He's in the middle of the lane, about 15 feet in front of my truck, and just staring at me with those evil, beady eyes. And then he did what skunks do. He turned his tail around towards the truck, and as if in slow motion, he began to lift that tail. And I knew what was coming. And as quick as I'd gone from 60 to zero, I went from zero to 60. Everybody in the car screams, and I gun it, and I rush into the left lane, and with an RV behind me, uh, I, I rush past the skunk, hoping that we get past him before the spray makes its way uh, onto the truck and the camper. Thankfully, we made it to Steamboat Lake and back to the East Coast without any of the stench of a skunk. The, if you've ever been around a skunk, you know that the stench of a skunk is it's almost inescapable. It will be with you for days. And if, if you hit it with your car, it's going to be with you for much longer than that. Sin is kind of like that, except worse. The stench of sin is inescapable. Inescapable except for Christ. When we have the stench of sin, we're, we're stuck with it. Malachi is preparing the way for the Lord in Matthew chapter 4, 
John the Baptist is doing that in Luke chapter 1. Because they both know what we need to know. That Christ alone is the one that removes the stench of sin from us. In this passage in Malachi 4, that stench of sin is really seen in the strife. The the enmity, the anger that is between man and God. Malachi puts it in a little bit of a different way. In verse 5 of Malachi 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, why would there be a need to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and children to the fathers unless those hearts were already apart? Now, those of you that, that have kids, you know that sometimes um, parents and children uh, they're at odds with each other, right? You can admit it. Uh, it's, it's true. Sometimes they're at odds with each other. Sometimes there's strife there. It's, it's, it's part of life. Sometimes there's strife between a husband and a wife, and there's, there's, there's a lack of peace in that way. There's definitely enmity, strife, anger between us and God. And all of that is a result of sin. In Luke, in chapter 1, Beginning in verse 16, he, that is John the Baptist in this case, will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's mirroring what we had seen in Malachi. But he's also helping us to understand that Malachi wasn't just talking about relationships between parents and children, but a relationship of Israel to God, a relationship of the people that God has created to God. Only Christ can turn our hearts back to the Father and bring about the peace that we so desperately need. So this, this tension that, that Malachi speaks of and that, that Luke speaks of encompasses all of that. We saw its beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve had sinned because they had wanted to be like God. And then they find them, we, we find them hiding behind a bush like a skunk behind a bush. Hiding behind a bush and they cover themselves in fig leaves to cover their nakedness which was a sign of their shame. They're hiding from God. God comes into the garden and he, he asks, Adam, where are you? Not because he doesn't know where Adam is, because he does, but he wants to draw Adam out of his sin and shame in his hiding place, to a place of confrontation with the Father. We see it in Romans, in chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So it's what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. The, the, the wickedness, the strife, the tension, the anger, the sin... It's plain. It's clear. We can't escape it without Christ. Where's the strife in your life? Think of someone. Think of someone you've got that tension with, that lack of peace. Maybe it's just, maybe it's out and out anger. Maybe it's someone that that you have that that tension with today. Maybe it's someone from your past. And as, as hard as you try, you just can't get away from it. 
and it just rears its ugly head. The anger does, maybe in the middle of the night or the middle of the day. And you just want to be done with it. You want peace to come. We long for peace. And we will go to great lengths to find that peace, to find some semblance of peace. In a business or in, uh, with business partners, you might bring about negotiations to find some semblance of, uh, of common ground and, uh, and peace in the midst of those, those tensions. Maybe you, you seek to find peace through manipulation, manipulating of the others. A friend of mine uh, in another city uh, had, um, had someone stalking him and his family. Uh, the, this other individual was, uh, was vandalizing their car and their house and stalking them at all hours of the day and night, but they couldn't prove it, so the law couldn't do anything about it. So finally, my friend left his job, left the city, and moved to a different city. He ran from it, and, and rightfully so. But sometimes we run from relationship because we don't want to deal with the anger, with the pain and the, the, lack, of, the lack of peace. There's only so many Thanksgiving dinners we can skip and run from, though, right? What we need to do is run back to what we call the gospel waltz, where we repent, believe, and follow. Repent of our, our lack of trusting the Father, repent of, of anger and, 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 that, that we have caused, uh, and, and follow Christ, believing who he has called us to be, that he is enough for us. Who went to the uh, Bluffton Christmas parade yesterday? Anybody? I see a lot of hands. Wasn't that great? That was so fun. I loved being there. But th- there was this strange juxtap- juxtaposition um, that, that I saw there. And we've got this Christmas parade of the one that uh, we're celebrating, the one that is known as the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God, right? And, and we're, we're led off by, by some of our Bluffton police officers, great, great, great men and women. And follow that is the, is the Marine Corps band. Weren't they awesome? I, I love those, those men and women. It was so cool. And, then, and they're followed at a distance uh, by some other marching bands and by an Army, Army ROTC from a high school. And, uh, and then we have pediatricians with, with floats in the, in the parade. And we have veterinarians with floats in the parade. And the, the Coast Guard did what the Coast Guard does, and they flew over the parade which is really cool. And then they bring a, the, the, the Coast Guard boat comes down the, the parade path. That was really cool. I, I want that boat for Christmas, by the way. Uh, really awesome. And, and, and you have fire departments and, and police officers and pediatricians and, and Marine Corps and Army and Air Force and, 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 and Navy and, and, and all, these, all these individuals that we would call our heroes, right? Right? Wonderful men and women. And, and all of those reminded me that we're not home yet. We have a need for all of those because there's not peace in our land. There's not peace in our, in our nation. There's not peace in our world. There's not peace in our bodies. Our bodies are breaking and they, they grow sick and they grow old. We need a peace that only Christ can, brings, can bring. And so there's a sense in which the strife and the brokenness that we experience in this life there's a sense in which it's a good thing. Not, not good in, in that it's caused by sin, but good in that it reminds us that we are not home yet. We're living somewhere between the already and the not yet. 
There's an already that Christ has come, but there's a not yet, and that we do not behold him face to face yet. But that day will come, and the brokenness will be no more. And peace will be our experience in our souls and with our bodies. But we're not there. We're not there yet. We go to great lengths. We go to great lengths to seek for, for ways to, to be done with the strife and the stress of our life. We look for substitute saviors. That's what we do. Things that we think are going to um, bring us the peace and the hope that we long for without having to turn to God. Several years ago, we were uh, traveling in another part of the world. And as I was walking down a road in this, this uh, major world city, I noticed that there was a merchandise mart, a trade show, a specifically sports trade show that was about to close down. And I went in wishing that I'd gotten there the day before, uh, and I, I walked around and, until I found a golf pro shop that was closing down its trade exhibit. And if y'all have ever been a part of trade shows, you know that the people in the, in the booth don't want to carry all that stuff back home with them, right? So I'm thinking, it's time to make a deal. This particular pro shop was a Callaway golf pro shop. Yeah. And, and I walk in, and there's, there's only a few sets left of golf, golf clubs, uh, and they were of varying degrees of quality. And I, I walked up to the golf pro, and I, said, and I asked her to explain to me what the different um, levels were. I, I said, so are, are they copies? And she hesitated a moment, and then she decided to be honest. And she said, yes, they're, they're all copies. I said, so what's the difference? And she said, well, these are D-copies. I'm like, yeah, I can tell they're D-copies. <laughs> I had this impression that if I swung that driver, the golf ball was going to go that way and the head was going to go that way. Now, for me, the ball usually goes that way anyway, so that wouldn't have been different, but the golf club would have been a, would have been a problem. I said, so what are these? And she said, well, these are C-copies, and, and they're a little bit better made. And, and, and these, she said, well, these are B copies, and they're almost like the originals. I said, cool, almost. Not going to help me, but almost. And so and I said, so what are these? And she, I said, are these A copies? And she said, no, these are not copies. These are the real thing. And they look like the real thing. I mean, they, they were packaged like the real thing. They, they might not have been, but they at least looked like the real thing to me. And I thought, okay, it's time to make a deal because she doesn't want to carry this stuff back. And I said, so... Um, if I bring some of my friends that are here uh, in the country with me uh, to shop, can you give me a deal on these? And she said, yeah, you bring your friends and I'll give you these. And so I got a $1,600 set for $167. Bucks. And, and my, I don't know what my friends pay, but that's up to them. <laughs> but I got this really nice set of, of Callaway golf clubs because I wanted the real thing. They didn't help my game, but, but the, we want the real thing. We don't want copies. When it comes to golf clubs or cars or, or software, things like that. But when it comes to, to what we need in a Savior, we settle for substitutes. Why do we do that? Only Christ will bring us the peace that we so desperately need. We settle for substitutes with people. We think if this person can just bring me the peace and the hope that I long for, then I'll be satisfied. So we might do it with our spouse or with our children. Uh, and in so doing, we're using them. We're expecting them to be a savior that they're not designed to be. 
we do it with, with success. That if we just have success, whether that success is in business, uh, whether that success is, is in athletics, or, or with the athletics of our children. That if our children make the right team and have the right trophies, then while we're successful and we will be satisfied in life, all will be good. We do it with stuff. We let stuff be the substitute savior. If we have the right stuff or enough stuff, then life will be good. And life will be meaningless until I have that stuff. Guess what? If you have all the stuff you can have, it still won't be enough. You will be disappointed. Because that stuff, those people, that success, they're not designed to be your savior. Christ will not let you be satisfied with anything less than him. Do not settle for less than Jesus Christ. What all of these things do for us is what Malachi was doing for the people of his day. They remind us that our performance, that these substitute saviors are not enough. One of the main ones that we try to to bring up is what they had done in Malachi and what the Pharisees were doing in the days of John the Baptist. We try to keep the law. And if we can't keep the law of the Ten Commandments, the law of Scripture, then we'll build up other laws and and make them like the laws from God. Romans 3.20 and Galatians 3.21 also tell us that the law was not meant to be our Savior. The law can't make us righteous before God. The law is meant to drive us to Christ, amongst other things, but it is meant to drive us to the Savior and to show us that these things and the keeping of the law, no matter how well we keep it, will never make us righteous before God. We have to have something more. We have to have none other than Jesus Christ. There has to be more, and thank God there is. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a believer in Christ, As long as you remain in that place, then you're left with those substitutes. And the substitutes of earth, whether they are the greatest people on earth or the greatest stuff or you have the most awesome success, those things will never be enough. You will always be wanting more. Always be seeking the next great thing as if that is the thing that will make you somebody. Those things will never be enough. You have to have Christ Christ alone. Christ alone is our peace. Malachi mentions Elijah to remind the people of his day of the prophets that had pointed towards Jesus Christ. Now, Elijah was special in other ways. Elijah is a prophet that never saw death here on earth or never experienced death himself. He, he ascended into heaven in a, in a whirlwind. He was quite unique. Right before Malachi mentions Elijah, he mentions the law and the prophets, or the, or the law. The law chases us to Christ. The prophets point us to Christ. We come over to, to John the Baptist in, in Luke in chapter, chapter 1 and in verse 11. We see a priest, Zechariah, married to Elizabeth. They were well advanced in age. There was no way they were going to have children. Yet Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus, does become, does become pregnant and does give birth to John. John the Baptist is the way we know him. This John the Baptist points forward towards Jesus Christ as Isaiah 40 had said he would. Isaiah 40 
the prophet there says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. There would come a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. He's speaking of John the Baptist. When Malachi says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah, he's speaking of John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 17, as well as in Mark chapter 9, we see this really strange event. Uh, we call it a transfiguration. Where Jesus has gone up on a mountainside, a tall mountain, with his inner circle of apostles, uh, James and John and Peter. And, and they're going up there to, to watch and pray. Uh, and, and while they're up there, Jesus is seen to be shining with a radiance that no that nothing else on earth can match. And alongside of him is Elijah the prophet and Moses the lawgiver. And Peter does what Peter often does, what I sometimes do as well. He opens his mouth when he should be silent. And he says, he says I'm paraphrasing here, wow, this is awesome. Let us make three tents here, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you, Jesus, and we'll dwell right here. And then out of, out of the cloud, out of a cloud that, that descended upon them comes a voice, the voice of God the Father. The voice says, this is my beloved son, not Elijah, not Moses, not the prophets, not the law. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The law is not going to bring you the peace you seek, that you need. The prophets aren't going to bring you that. Those pointed to Jesus. God the Father tells James and John and Peter, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Unless lest the disciples continue to be confused about Elijah and John the Baptist. Later on in, in this passage, Jesus informs them that, hey, we're talking of John the Baptist, and they begin to understand that, that reality. We have to have something more. John isn't Elijah, but like Elijah, he points to the Messiah. Like Elijah, he prepares the way for the Lord. How does he do that? Well, the passage tells us that he... He says that he's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He's going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Tim Keller, Tim Keller says that, that, um, that the un an unbelieving world, not Christian world, a secular world, reads Christians instead of the Bible. Christians read the Bible some, to find out who God is. But a secular world reads Christians to find out who God is. There's, there's been times in my life that if somebody was looking at me to find out who Christ was, they would have run far and fast away. Maybe you've had times like that in your own life. What do people see when they see you, when they see your life? John is, is, is crying out to the Pharisees as Malachi was crying out to the people of his day. Prepare the way for the Lord. Return. Return to the Lord. 
prepare the way for the Lord. John the Baptist points forward to Jesus alone as our Savior. Listen, my friends, success cannot be your Savior, no matter how great it is. Your spouse cannot be your Savior. Having a spouse or not having a spouse cannot be your Savior. Having children, not having children cannot be your Savior. The health of your children, the health of your spouse, the health of your family, your own health cannot be your Savior. Fame, power, fortune cannot be your Savior. None of those things are designed to be your Savior. John the Baptist prepares the way for us by pointing our eyes to Christ alone as our Savior, the one that is worthy of our worship, the one that is the Prince of Peace. He himself is our peace, the one who is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God. What is it in your week, in your life, that if people were to look at that, they would be pointing towards Christ? Or put other people aside for just a moment. What is it in your hopes, in your heart, that you are trusting to be a Savior other than Jesus Christ? We have a great need that only Christ can fill. I told you I, I, like, I like wilderness, I really do. I, I like being uh, on, on the beach uh, in the middle of winter. There's just something peaceful and, and awesome about it. Uh, when I was a kid, I would, I would walk along the, the beach of the lake on which I lived, and I would fish, and, and um, uh, never caught much, but had fun fishing. I'm walking back, it's the dead of winter, it's cold, it's overcast, it's spitting rain. Uh, it was a good day, believe it or not. And, but I'm walking past, and from a, a deserted boathouse, it's falling down, I hear a whimper. And it's dark inside that boathouse, so I'm thinking twice before I enter in to see what that whimper is. But I, I walk a little bit into the open doors, and I see something huddling in the back corner. And I walk a little bit closer, and I see that it is a massive dog. I get all the way up to it, and it, is a, it was a German shepherd uh, that was a bag of bones. She was so weak, she couldn't get up. She was wet. She was cold. She was starving. Her fur was matted, she was muddy, her ribs, her hip bones, everything's showing. If I left her there, she would have died. She had a need that only one person could fill at that moment. I had the ability to fill the need. So I picked her up, she didn't weigh much at all, and I carried her home, and I got her some water, and I bathed her. And I brushed out her fur, and I gave her some food. Took her to the vet, got her the shots that she needed, might have needed, might not have needed. Uh, she, she had been somebody's dog, but she had been lost, and she was near dead. I gave her a name that she needed to grow up into. I gave her the name of Duchess, a beautiful name, because I wanted her to grow up to be the majestic creature that she was designed to be. And it was a while, maybe a few months, but she filled out, and she grew strong and gorgeous. She was a loyal dog, would not leave my side. 
I walk outside, she walks outside. I go to bed, she goes to bed. I go to eat, she wants to eat what's on my plate. She grew into a gorgeous dog. She had a need that only one person could fill. My friends, you and I have a need that only Jesus Christ can fill. There is none other. He alone is our Savior, but oh, oh, what a Savior. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Why is it that, the, that all of the law and all of the prophets point to Jesus Christ? Why is it that John the Baptist points to Jesus Christ as our Savior? Why is it that all the apostles, even at the cost of their very lives, point to Jesus Christ alone as our Savior? Why do I stand here this morning and point to Christ alone as our Savior? Why does our very uh, strife that we experience in life leave us wanting, hoping for something more, something that is found only in Christ, because Christ alone can be our Savior. He is our King, and there is, there is none others. My friends, Jesus Christ alone is our peace. He is our hope. He is our Savior, and He is for you. He is for you. Do not settle for less. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, we would, we would still be spiritually dead without Jesus. Yet you give us life, and you give us life forever. Oh, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not met you yet, I pray that yet ends today, and that you would grab a hold of their soul and give them life forever. I pray that they would, they would turn to you and worship and let you be their king. And they would know the hope of heaven found in Christ. Father, as we turn to this table that is before us, we turn again to Jesus and we put our eyes on you. Lord, where we are, where we are settling for substitutes, and we're trying to find peace and hope in people, or success, or wealth, or stuff, or the law, or measuring up, being good enough. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts and convince us to return to you, and that we would do so gladly, that you would fill our hearts with joy, the joy of heaven, through Christ our Lord. Amen. My friends, this table... This table before us is, is not the table of this church. Uh, it is not the table of our denomination. It is a table of the Lord. And as it is his table, it is a table that is meant for those who have faith in Christ and Christ alone for life eternal. If you have that faith, I encourage you to partake of the table. Uh, we'll, we'll come forward in a few moments and just take it and take it back to your seats and meditate on it and take it uh, when you're ready at then. If you're not yet a believer in Christ... I encourage you to, to withhold and not take part in the table. But, but listen, I want to talk to you. I want to hear your story. I want to know what, what you're thinking, what your questions are. And I want to invite you into that most incredible place of a relationship with Jesus Christ that you too might know the hope of heaven. A prayer of thanksgiving is like this. The peace of the Lord be with you.
Lift up your hearts. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the gift of God for the people of God. Hallelujah. Amen. On that night in which he was betrayed, as they gathered in the upper room, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body which is given, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. On the same night, after he had given thanks, which has been done in his name, he, he took the cup and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant which has been shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. As I take us to the Lord in prayer, I would invite the elders that are serving the elements to come forward and prepare the table. Will you pray with me?